Now let's just turn this morning in our Bibles. I just want to read a very short portion from the book of Philippians. Dr. Douglas, of course, will read that later. Just before we have the necessary announcements, let's hear the word of God. In Philippians chapter 2, we read from verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, the verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. We pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. It's my delight and joy to welcome you here this morning uh, to our uh, worship service. We do thank you for coming. And for those who are visitors, uh, we're glad to have you. We're especially delighted to have uh, Dr. John Douglas, no stranger uh, to us. Um, I look upon Dr. Douglas not only as a colleague in the work of the ministry, uh, but as a a personal friend. Uh, I remember sitting uh, under Dr. Douglas in the college uh, many, many years ago. And as I said to the children this morning, and I hope you not mind me saying this, uh, one word always struck uh, with me when I thought of Dr. Douglas. And I, I said this uh, over at the Civic Centre in Lisburn a few months ago, and that was his love. And I said this to the children this morning, that what we need, of course, firstly and secondly and thirdly, and so on and so forth, is a deep, deep love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Dr. Douglas has always had from the first day that I ever met the Lord's servant in the Whitfield College of the Bible being interviewed as a student, I came away with the thought, there's a man who loves Jesus Christ. And because he loves Jesus Christ, that love has seen his commitment to the sanctuary of God, his commitment, the way he treated the scriptures. You know, I remember being in the Whitfield College of the Bible, sitting, listening to the Lord's servant, uh, doing biblical exegesis. Uh, He doesn't know this. Uh, My my wife can bear testimony. Many times we come home, and this is the truth, even though we were saved and and we professed to love the Lord, we come home feeling this small. We come home feeling, maybe even if I could use the word, in a cold, backslidden state. Because in comparison to the Lord's servant, 
that was the way we felt whenever he had finished his exegesis uh, from the, the, the scriptures. And uh, I, I say this uh, unashamedly today. He is a man who is highly regarded in the church as one who loves Christ. And that love for Christ is seen in his commitment to the saints, in his commitment to souls. And we're especially delighted to have him here today. And we count it an honour. He's going to preach uh, uh, this morning. Again tonight at six, uh, 7 o'clock after the prayer meeting. Remember the prayer meeting at 6.30? Come and join us. Then the Lord's servant will be back. He'll preach again a second message on the life of Jonah. And then he'll be here Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday night. Uh, so you've only two extra nights to be out because some of you are out on a Wednesday night. So please make the special effort. Uh, what I would encourage you to do if you haven't already done it, read through the, the, the book of Jonah. So it's only four chapters. Read it this afternoon. And, and maybe make a prayer. If you haven't already prayed, even today, you can pray. Young people, boys, girls, men and women, we could pray. Lord, speak to me out of this series. Don't let it be a vain exercise. Don't come and go from the place of the holy. Just remain the way we are, unchanged. But pray that God will meet with us this week. And that God will change us from the inside out. And then that God will use us for his honour and glory. That's what I'm praying. So thank you for coming. We pray that God will meet with us. As I've said, we are delighted to have Dr. Douglas with us. We are honoured and privileged as a congregation. We do thank thee as well for the Lord's servant that has given him over today. We've been praying much that the Lord would bless and use Dr. Douglas. And this is a very historic year for the church because remember... This is the 40th anniversary of the founding of the congregation. It's the 20th anniversary of the constitution of the work. And also in the will of God, it will be the year 2016 when we have a foundation stone service in the church building that's being erected behind me. And different ladies have been speaking to Rosemary that have met her through the week. And they have been all saying uh, in different uh, congregations that are represented uh, how delighted they are and how uh, amazed they are to see the building that's being erected. Uh, and it is a talking point in the community. Uh, and uh, we thank God for that. And we pray that God will bring in souls, save them, and even separate them unto himself. That's what we're looking for. And we're looking to the Lord to do it. Not unto us. Not unto us, Lord, but unto thy name be the glory. Uh, so uh, do remember the, the meetings in prayer, and we're going to hand over to Dr. Douglas. Bye, thank you. Thank you so much. Let us all turn to the book of Jonah. You have anticipated that. And um, I fully endorse what your minister has been saying about reading ahead. Uh, you can read through four chapters in a very short time. And uh, the more familiar you are with the book of Jonah, the better. So I'm delighted to be here. I count it an honor to be here today to bring the word of God. And um, when I just came over the brow of the hill, saw this new church building taking shape, touched my heart and I have rejoiced Amen. in seeing the progress there in that part of the work. So be encouraged in the Lord. The Lord is good. He's no disappointment. And we praise the Lord for every token the Lord has given us in his matchless love of his care for us. So it is a joy to be here. And uh, as I've said, it's an honor for me to be here. 
to bring the word of God at this time. So I do want you to read ahead. Uh, and possibly some of you have been doing this already. So I commend you for that. But let's not stop there. But continue with the book and read again. Many a time on speaking about Bible study, I have said, you need to read the chapter through ten times. And that is right. I remember reading of a man he had read through the portion a hundred times. So that's not a mistake. The more familiar you are with the portion, the better. So I don't want you to come to Jonah, and for the moment I'm talking about the book, I don't want you to come and be a stranger to Jonah. That, that you can say when you meet him in heaven, I read that book, oh, I'll leave it for you to fill in the blank spaces. I don't know how many times I've read that book of Jonah. May the Lord comfort our hearts and stir our souls today as we commence this series in an anniversary year. It's a privilege from God's hand for us to be able to uh, come this far and to raise up an Ebenezer and say hither to, hither to, on this anniversary year, hither to, hath the Lord helped us. So we praise the Lord for that. We're going to read some words from the book of Jonah. Put a marker in the chapter if you haven't done so already, because in all likelihood we'll be looking at some other places in Scripture with the intention always of getting back to the passage in Jonah that we're meditating on. It's a privilege to have the Word of God, to have the book of God in our own mother tongue, to be able to gather as we do today in the presence of the Lord and in the place of prayer to say, Lord, here is thy word. This is the day called by thy name. And it's the will of God for his people to assemble on that day with the book of God and their hearts already prepared that a word in season may be granted to us all. Amen. Verse 1 of the book then. Now, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. wonder how many times the Lord has said that kind of thing since. Mm. And you think of the Spirit governing these times in the world. Practically every news broadcast there is. You must surely take note of the state of things in this unhappy world. Terrible thing to be living in an ungodly world without God. Terrible thing to be living without the Saviour, without the book of God and its truth in your heart. And God has said this about Nineveh, going way back, way, way back to the days of Jonah. God has said this about Nineveh. And God has purpose for him to go there ordinarily. We don't want a child of God to be in a wicked place. 
Ordinarily, it'd have to say, stay away. Stay away from there. If there's one place for you to avoid, it's that place where wickedness abounds. It's no place for the child of God to be. You see that? However, the circumstances are different this time. For the Lord to say, I want you to be there. He's not to abide there. He's not to partake of wickedness that uh, belongs to the place and characterizes the place. But God has given his servant a mission. A word. A word. Not only a word in season. But a word to declare. A mighty word at that. I was just thinking there. Rightly to do the book of Jonah. We would need months. Maybe maybe a full year. To look into this little book. So rich. In its teaching. So you see that. Nineveh is a great city. It's not great in the terms in terms of loveliness. It's not great in terms of honor. But it's great in size, great in importance, and sadly, very sadly, great in wickedness. Oh, it's a great city. And I, I can't emphasize that too strongly because we have young people here. I want a word for the boys and girls. And for those who are older, among the young people, there is wickedness in the world. And God doesn't want you to be there. That's ordinarily the way of it. Now this case is different because God's sending a preacher. And he's not to be contaminated with the spirit of the world. And of course, that applies to us all today, even in our time. Go and cry against it. He's not to be for it. He's not to be uh, indifferent to it. Or neutral even. Or intimidated by it. Go and cry against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. I wouldn't want Ulster to be in that state. And yet it's with a tremulous heart that I speak for. It may be the case already. The wickedness. Well, this place has come up before God. That would be a dreadful thing, should that be the case. But I'm glad too, men and women, for all the horror that that imparts to us. I'm glad that God has mercy enough to send the preaching of his word into that place. That's a great token. And here in Ulster... There's still time for the Bible with a great deal of men and women. An honour for God's book. And we're thankful for the Lord's day that although we have lost much of the spirit of the Lord's day in this country, yet there's something of it that still remains. Glory to God. And we're saying, yes, it's a token of God's mercy that God's going to send a preacher to Nineveh. Verse 3 begins with a but. Sometimes that word uh, is a word that brings sadness. Uh, you could be hearing of this person or that person. A very good person, but. Uh, even if it's down to, uh, let's speak of the kitchen and the cooking and lots of people study in that department. Uh, if you were to hear of that man for 
men are cooks as well, and that woman, ah, a great cook, but, but you wonder what's coming after that. Here's the man God has chosen, but he doesn't want to go. There's the humanity brought into the equation. And you must remember that in God's work, there's always the humanity. That's, that's a side for you to keep in mind. So the chapter is not ordered exactly as we would have imagined it. Of course, you've all read the book of Jonah long before now. But we're going to start today as if we'd never read the book of Jonah before. That's, that's my position. We're going to start the study as if we had never read the book of Jonah before. So we hit on this. It's like a rock. But. And we thought when God had a man chosen. And then God spoke to that man and sent him. We thought that would be the end of the matter. We didn't expect any problems. But that's just where the problems start. That's just where the problems start. But. Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. That's infinitely sad that anybody could countenance being out of touch with God. Never mind doing it deliberately. You hardly believe what you're seeing. That he's God's man. If he hadn't been God's man, you mightn't have thought twice about it. But he's the man God chose to go. And he says, no, Lord, I don't want it. I don't want to go. <coughs> and he may have had lots of reasons. And we, we are thinking of some primary reasons, of course, which we'll not go into now. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. We've been there. Some of you visiting the land of Israel have gone to Joppa. I always love to go to Joppa, not in the spirit of Jonah, getting away from God, but I just want to go there, the times. Because God did do a great work in that region, marvellous work. And even in the book of Acts, you read of that locality being moved by the power of God. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them on the Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. We want to look more into this tonight. We're obviously going to take a further step tonight. So we're looking here at the third verse and uh, what that entails. And a lot more besides. And we come to another but, verse 4. You can't reason to do things in life and leave the Lord out of the picture. That's a mistake. It's also foolishness. You can't decide you're going to do this, that, the other thing. You're going to go here, there, yonder and forget about God. That's a mistake. So verse 4, but the Lord, he's just left out of the picture. That's the way modern society is. They've left God out of the picture. But the Lord's still there. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. 
and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken then the mariners were afraid the word mariner is used there for the ship's crew in much the same way that some of the old books about the sea would have talked of the sea salts they may not have called them sailors or shipmen or members of the crew they didn't always speak like that but there were times when they referred to some of the old hands as sea salts or salts well that's the way it is in scripture here in the Hebrew language we're talking about the old sea salts <laughs> it, could be, it could have said the sailors it could have said men on board the ship but it says here the old sea salts because there are men hardened to the sea a sea salt is not like me if I was put on I'd be green in the face in these conditions inside 15 minutes but you expect with the sea salt so I call to mind when I used to preach in Portavogie minister down there a fishing industry were fishermen who surprised me by saying they would go out every Sunday night maybe one o'clock in the morning they waited till the Lord's day had concluded and they'd say I still get sick no wonder you ever down the fishing boat if you were sick in 10 minutes in some other sort of vessel you'd be sick in 2 minutes down in the fishing boat I still get sick but ordinarily we take the old sea salt to, to have years of experience and say oh I know the sea I know the storms have been in many a storm I could tell you one story after another and for a mariner to be scared, to be terrified, that's something. That's something. And cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea. So some of the cargo ditched, thrown overboard. They cried every man to his God and they cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it off them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay. And another surprise. Another surprise. That in a storm like this, a man is fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him. And said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise! He must have shouted it into his ear. He probably shook the man. For the word for sleep there indicates a deep, deep sleep. <coughs> like he was unconscious nearly. So he must have shouted in his ear. What do you mean, man? Sleeping! What meanest thou? Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. We'll just stop there for the time being. Needing the help of God. Asking for the help of God today. What 
a wonderful book the Bible is. Even reading the scripture, do you see? Even reading these words, why scripture just comes alive. It's a living book. It's a precious word. And if you haven't really started to study God's word yet, make a real decision about it. And dedicate some precious time every week. And if you can, some precious time every day, the study of God's holy word. Now, we need help from God. If ever we needed help from the Lord, we do today. This is an anniversary year. We acknowledge that and we rejoice in it. It would be a wonderful thing in an anniversary year if the Lord took note of the anniversary too, wouldn't it? If in after times men and women sitting here today and young people could say, I was at that meeting. That was the day the Lord came in. We ought not to limit the Lord by our past experience or even by our own thoughts. And We respect your thoughts and you respect mine. But many a time we're caught in the wrong foot with the Lord and the Lord's ahead of us. So we have to still our hearts and say, Lord, what have you to say to me? There. Verse 6, Jonah had cut himself off from the Lord. The Lord wasn't speaking to him. But there was another man speaking to him. What do you mean, man? And sometimes the Lord sends an unusual minister. It was so here. A shipmaster. The shipmaster didn't know he was speaking as from God. But he was. We want to be like that and pick up a word from God in all sorts of situations every day. Now with our Bibles open here, just keep the book open because today we're going to go into the words of Scripture. And that will require you to have the book in readiness. You might say, not like Jonah, saying, what, 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 what? Like a man wakened out of deep, deep sleep. He probably said, what, 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 what? And didn't know where he was. Or could he have been dreaming of Tarsus? We don't know. But has the word of the Lord reached your soul? Let's say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, we're careful. And this matter we are before thee. We have come to thy house today. And it's a pleasant thing for us. It's a joyous thing. We're glad, Lord, to be able to sit down with the book at thy feet. And it is a delight to us, Lord, to feast on heavenly things. And yet, Lord, we were speaking of the humanity entering into the chapter. And we're still sinners. We're still poor and needy. We still make mistakes, Lord. We still, we still, we still make mistakes. Oh, Lord, keep thy hand upon us for good. Come especially today. Pardon us, Lord, for our offenses. There are times, Lord, when we go down the wrong track and we don't really mean to do that. But we pray just the same because we're erring sinners and we do err. Therefore, we're saying, Lord, draw us with the cords of love. If it's a matter of bringing us back, then, Lord, do it. That would be my prayer. Speak to my soul today, dear Lord. Speak to me, Lord. Do not pass me by today. 
And thy children here are praying the same prayer. Lord, don't pass me by. Speak to me today, Lord. Give me the hearing heart. Give me the hearing ear. Let our hearts burn. Lord, hear prayer. In Jesus' dear name, amen. amen. Look at the opening words of the book, please. I find the opening words of this little prophecy to be notable and arresting because these words carry the stamp of divine authority. And right there, the opening words of the book were brought to observe these words that in the strongest possible way will affirm that the book of Jonah has come from God. Read again those words, if you will. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. My prayer already is, Lord, let thy word come to me today. The son of Amittai saying, the word of the Lord came to him. These are not irregular words. To the contrary, these words can be described as the old prophetic formula. That is to say, notable men of God in days of old, those who fulfilled the role of the prophet, had this privilege that is described in the opening words here, the word of the Lord came unto them. And since this is just the introduction, I will want later on to go a little further with explaining the meaning of what we have in verse 1. So my opening words about verse 1 will not suffice, but they will take us as far as we need to go just now. I say the old prophetic formula, how far back do we go? If you were reading the life of Abraham, it might surprise you to see. There, in the chapter of Genesis, these very words, the word of the Lord came unto Abram. And right there, and onwards through the Bible, season after season, period after period, the word of the Lord came to his servants. I was just checking out there, was it this morning or last night, one or the other? Very little difference between the two when you're spending time. But thought of Jeremiah, 35 times at least. In the book of Jeremiah, you'll read the prophetic formula. The word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah. And Ezekiel, Why? In Ezekiel, 50 times, 50 times through the book of Ezekiel. And we go on through, sometimes in a book, uh, the words appear on more occasions than maybe in the next book. But just the same, this is an expression of note. 
It shows the presence of God. It has to do with the divine origin of what you have in front of you. That the utterance picked up by the Lord's servant is directly from God. The word of the Lord came to him. Maybe I'll be saying in the course of this series, because in school books, religious instruction, religious instruction, it is suggested that the prophet was a child of his times, influenced by um, the leading thoughts in society and limited to the prejudices of his age. And then he devised the word. He felt it in his heart. He was an extraordinary man, let's say. A certain manual may instruct the children like this. And these prophets wrote down the words that they believe were the words of God. That's a lot of nonsense. That's a lie from hell. You see here, verse 1. Verse 1. This is a, there's a reason for this. Why the book of Jonah starts the way it does. And lots of people commenting on the book of Jonah seem to have missed the significance of the words. That before we start, the stamp of divine authority is on this book. In words that indicate every chapter here has come from God. The certificate of divine inspiration is here. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. It wasn't that the prophet in a moment of religious enthusiasm thought up some words. No, no. The word of God existed apart from him and came to him. And so Jonah was the recipient, not the author. What folly there is on educators who take a contrary line to a truth so obvious in scripture as it is today. I'll be saying a little more about that in due course. So don't put it down as repetition because it won't be repetition. We'll be going a little further of what we're discovering. Now let me outline the book. Just chapter by chapter. Four chapters as you know. And in the simplest possible way. Just to account for what we've got in the book of Jonah. First of all, chapter 1, the plan of Jonah. That plan is explained to us in verse 3. The man was determined to go to Tarsus. Anywhere! But be in the place where God wants him to be. That's sad. If you were speaking of a Christian, and Jonah is a child of God, remember. If you were speaking of a Christian, you would never believe that a Christian would willfully want to be in some other place other than where the Lord wants him. It's just contrary to all that we believe and hold dear. But there it is. The plan of Jonah is to go to Tarshish. So chapter 1 concerns the plan of Jonah. Then secondly, look at chapter 2. Look at the opening lines. The first three words will do. Then Jonah prayed. Chapter 2 verse 1. That's the prayer of Jonah. And all the way through chapter 2. You're occupied with the stirring prayer. I hope you can come every night. Because when we get to chapter 2. 
there is a great deal for us to consider. And there's a blessing in the book besides. So don't miss one meeting if you can help it. The first chapter then was the plan of Jonah. It wasn't God's plan. It wasn't God's plan. Have you got plans? Very definitely laid out in your mind. Have you got plans that don't coincide with God's plan? If that's the case, then I can say beyond all doubt, God has sent me here to speak with your soul. If your plan is contrary to God's plan, you're going to make a shipwreck. And we're staying partly with the analogy in chapter 1. So the plan, that's chapter 1. Chapter 2, the prayer of Jonah. Then when you get to chapter 3, look at verse 2, and you'll find the word is there. <coughs> it's preach. So chapter 3, it's simple. It's as plain as day. Ah, hey, if I could get to some of you, I can't set an age on a boy or girl who's here. But even if uh, you're 10 years of age, let me just pick that number. 10 years of age, you've got this. The plan of Jonah, that's chapter 1. The prayer of Jonah, that's chapter 2. The preaching of the man, the preaching of Jonah. What does verse 2 of chapter 3 say? Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach. Go and preach. <coughs> go and preach. A preacher has no business standing before a congregation unless he has a commission from on high. He must be a man sent from God. Go and preach. If God says to a man, no matter what his heart is, he, he may be out of sorts. Here's a man out of sorts, all right, out of sorts with God. More of that, maybe tonight or tomorrow night, more of that later. But simply the preaching. And chapter 3 focuses attention on the preaching of the man when he started to do what God wanted him to do. There's no other way to live but to fulfill God's plan. God's will for your life. And lastly, chapter 4, the persuasion of Jonah. Because that comes out there when, the, when Jonah starts to reason with God in verse 2. That's his persuasion. He was better off the way he was at the start. He didn't see any reason to change his view. The persuasion of Jonah, I had almost said, and maybe I would need to say it, the perversity of Jonah. Because that would be... A more true statement. I hesitate because I don't want to put the prophet in that category, but I can't do anything else. The petulance of the man, the perversity of his heart when he is stamping his foot in a sense with the Lord talking to him and he's resisting the Lord. That's dreadful. It's beyond imagination. What a wonderful book this is. 
And having set that outline in front of you, and everybody can see it, the plan that he had to go to Tarsus chapter 1, and the prayer that he offers in chapter 2, and there's a great deal of instruction there in chapter 3, the preaching, and finally the perversity of the man that he wants to debate with God the issue of the day. Now what I want to do, considering these four chapters are before us, is to just run a line through the middle, take two chapters, put them on the one side, chapters 1 and 2, and then the remaining chapters, chapters 3 and 4. So we have these chapters running in parallel. On the one side, chapters 1 and 2. On the other side, chapters 3 and 4. And just look at the comparisons between them. For... If you look at how then chapter 1 begins, and that will represent 1 and 2, chapters 1 and 2, you see the beginning in verse 1, we have mentioned it, now the word of the Lord came. So that will sum up chapters 1 and 2. Then if we say, right, we're dividing the book in this way, and chapters 3 and 4 will follow, look at how chapter 3 begins. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. Praise God, the Lord's still speaking. If you had to say tearfully in your heart, not saying to anybody else because nobody else needs to know a thing about it. It's just between you and the Lord. But if you had to say, well, I'm not where I should be. I'm not in the right place with the Lord, you know. That could happen. That could be the case here. And Christian people could be surprised to identify the person concerned. We don't, we, we don't dream of it. We can't see into the heart, you see. But it's a wonderful thing. It really is. It's a wonderful thing. If the word of the Lord comes to you, even you, another time. And so this second part of the book begins the same way as the first part of the book. The word of the Lord came. And then there's another comparison. You see the opening words in verse 2 of chapter 1. Arise and go. Arise and go to Nineveh. Now let's look over to chapter 3. Which as we say begins the second part of the book. And look at verse 2. And you see the parallel immediately. Notice the similarity. We should see these things. We should mark these things in the Bible. Just don't let them float away. Mark these things. See the points of comparison and the first one was the word of the Lord came that was verse 1 of chapter 1 and then we saw the second part of the book chapter 3 verse 1 the words are there the word of the Lord came and then we have noticed arise and go chapter 1 verse 2 with chapter 3 verse 2 arise and go the Lord doesn't change his mind you or I Start being contrary with God. I mean, look at, we're not going to turn it up now, but Acts chapter 9, there's that godly man, Ananias, at the time when Saul of Tarsus was saved, and he, the Lord said, I want you to go to speak to a man called Saul of Tarsus. He said, Lord, I've heard but too many people of that man. He didn't want to go. The Lord knows what he's at. The Lord will not change. If, God, if it's God's purpose and God's way and God's plan, the sooner you get into line, the better. 
and how many times have we prayed ourselves even and sung the words have thine own way Lord that argues does it not that argues that there may be a contest going on William Booth founder of the Salvation Army Salvation Army was a mighty power for God when it was founded and William Booth was a great leader in the work of God and won many thousands to the Lord and somebody said Mr. Booth if you had to give an account of your success because lots of people in higher levels of society frowned on what he was doing so it wasn't popular altogether anyway it wasn't popular altogether but they say how can you then account for your success Mr. Booth he said it's very simple there came, and I'm using my own words, but the gist is there. There came a crisis in my life, and I gave my life entirely to the Lord. And as best I knew, there wasn't a part of me, William Booth, but God had it. Amen. A man entirely given over to the Lord. Have thine own way, Lord. That's, that's an end to every matter, isn't it? That's an end of it. Go to Nineveh. Just go on. Do it. And more. Each part, if we take two chapters and two chapters, the, the second chapter, so to speak, each time is a prayer. If you look at chapter 2, which is the last chapter of the first part, and I hope I'm being clear of what I'm saying, I'm just cutting the book of Jonah in two parts, two chapters on either side, and you'll see that following chapter 1, chapter 2 is a prayer. Then if you take the two chapters in the second part of the book, that's 3 and 4, chapter 4 is a prayer. It's a prayer. And both sections of the book have to do with Nineveh. The first section of the book is getting away from Nineveh. And the final section, chapters 3 and 4, it's settling the matter at last, settling the thing now, settling the thing once and for all. He's going to Nineveh. Hallelujah. He's going to Nineveh. So the first two chapters then could be well described as the prophet departing from the will of God. He's getting out of God's will, chapters 1 and 2. Although we know in the prayer he's slowly getting back. Thank the Lord for that. And then in chapters 3 and 4, here's the man eventually yielding, doing what God wants him to do. That settles the matter. He's going through with God now. He's going to go to the place where the Lord wants him to be. The word of the Lord came. Oh, men and women, it's significant that it's significant uh, this book of Jonah starts that way. Because out of all the books of the Bible, or for that matter, if you were to take the 12 minor prophets, and Jonah is one of the minor prophets, we, we know that. By the way, these books are not called the minor prophets because they're minor in importance. The book of Jonah is just as much inspired as the Gospel of Matthew or Habakkuk 
just as much the Word of God as the book of Revelation. Just the same standard of inspiration all the way through the Bible. So the minor prophets are not minor in importance. They're all inspired of God equally. But they're minor in terms of their size compared to the larger prophets. Like Isaiah 66 chapters or, or Ezekiel. Or even Jeremiah, these are the larger prophecies. And now in these 12 books, we call them the minor prophets. But if you had to doubt any of the minor prophets, we're living in an ungodly age, and there are people who are skeptical about God and the scripture. And if they had a question mark over any one of the minor prophets, it would have to be Jonah, wouldn't it? It would have to be Jonah. And yet the Lord delights, if I talk about the Bible, the Lord delights to um, just take things from the Old Testament. Uh, ungodly people don't believe Him. The Lord takes a delight, in my opinion, in the New Testament of bringing those very incidents to mind. Could you turn to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11? These words apply to the days of Moses and particularly to the journeyings in the wilderness. Now, 1 Corinthians 10 11 is important in connection with this series. And I'll read the words to you now. All these things happened. And in general, 1 Corinthians 10 11 is talking about the Old Testament. In particular, about the travelings of Israel, their rescue from Egypt, their miraculous preservation in the wilderness through the 40-year period. Through the 40 years. Unless somebody should say, how could two and a half million track their way through the wilderness with water coming from a rock and manna Descending from heaven, how could they live all that time? Well, notice it, verse 11 says, Now all these things happened. That's the position. You can say for a fact, that's the way the book of Jonah stands in Scripture too. All these things that are described in Jonah, all these things really happened. Have you got that? So that in the New Testament, and, and I'll not take time to give you the references, because that would obviously, as I've said, take time. The supernatural creation of heaven and earth is mentioned in the New Testament, not just in Genesis 1. The creation of Adam in a state of innocence, and the deceit of the old serpent, that's spelt out in the New Testament, as well as in Genesis 3. The worldwide flood in the days of Noah. That's spelt out again in the New Testament. The days of Noah and Noah himself building the ark. The New <coughs> Testament speaks about it. And the miraculous deliverance of Israel, as I say, at the time of the Exodus. <coughs> the opening up of the waters of the Red Sea. And the unfailing descent of the matter, uh, manna from heaven. These and other things are set out in the New Testament so as to verify 
all these things happened. And they're for us, that verse in Corinthians says. They're written for our admonition that you might hear it and believe it and stand with it, come what may, on whom the ends of the world are come, even for people in the very last of the last days. And the ends of the world are come upon us. And so these things happened. That, that, that's how we sum up the book of Jonah. All these things happened. Do you see chapter 1 verse 1 of the book of Jonah? Now the word of the Lord came. I said I would come back. And so I have. And even with it all I'll come back another time to these words. Chapter 1 verse 1. Or it's a wee bit like the Pacific Ocean. You could go out half a mile from the shore of the Pacific, but you can look away to the horizon and say, there's much more of this ocean than we can see. Much more there. So, see this. Now, these things happened unto them. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah. You see that name, Amittai. Do you know what that name means? Because this goes a wee bit further with what we're saying. That name, Amittai, means the truth of Jehovah. The truth of God. That's no coincidence. Because before we get into this book, the book that skeptical man would reject, modernistic ministers would say, oh, it's a parable, really. We're not intended to take it literally. <laughs> there are spiritual lessons. Well, so there are spiritual lessons. We don't deny that. But at the same time, the book of Jonah is a real history. And time has just flown away on me. Could I ask you to refer to the gospel? And we'll bring this in on our conclusion. And go to Matthew. What we're saying is all these things happened. What we're saying is the first verse in the book of Jonah settles the matter. It's the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And even Jonah's father, Amittai, means the truth of Jehovah. And so I can say right from verse 1, the truth of God is stamped in this book. Do you know that? Right from verse 1, the truth of God stamped into this book. I, the New Testament mention is startling. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. Can you mark these verses, men and women? And I want you, maybe you've run out of markers already, because I did ask you to mark Jonah. But if you have got an extra one, put it here in Matthew 12. And you look at verse 39. You'll have to allow me to abbreviate here. Verse 39 through to 41. Where in verse 39, the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, No sign shall be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. So Jonah is a sign. The book of Jonah itself is a sign. But Jonah is a sign. For 
Verse 40, there are the three days and three nights in the whale's belly. And that refers in type in the burial of Christ, three days and three nights. As Jonah is in the heart of the seas, so our Lord is said to be in the heart of the earth. Verse 41, the men of Nineveh shall rise in the judgment and shall condemn it. They shall condemn this generation because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. You see that? There's the New Testament reference in the book of Jonah. And I want to say a little bit more about that in a moment. But just keep a finger in Matthew 12 and go across to chapter 16 and verse 4. This is the second reference in the Gospels. Chapter 16, verse 4. The wicked and adulterous generation seeketh a sign, and there shall be no sign given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. So there's a sign there, you see. Now you look at chapter 11. And look chapter 11. In verse 29. through to 32. These are very, very significant scriptures. And if you're going to set out to study the book of Jonah, even over a few nights, it's essential you get a real hold in this. Have you got Luke chapter 11 there? Look at verse 29. Let me sum up again. The Lord saying there are people in Jerusalem looking for a sign. And there's no sign but the sign of Jonas the prophet. Now verse 30. For as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so also shall the Son of Man be to this generation. And verse 32. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment. I'll have to talk about this later on because it's so significant. However, just to put everything into a nutshell. Look at this. You see that there are three references in the Gospels. Three references in the New Testament. And our Savior is saying when it comes to a true testimony in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Let every word be established. And we have three witnesses in the New Testament to the absolute truth of all that happens in the book of Jonah. Three witnesses. Matthew 12, Matthew 16, Luke 11. Did you notice then, secondly, that the word sign appears in every one of them? Every one of those references. The sign, the sign, the sign. And did you notice also, did you notice only one of the New Testament references, only one mentions the three days and the three nights. Only one. Because you could have thought to yourself, oh well, if there are three references to the book of Jonah in the Gospels, all three will tell us about three days and three nights. That's not the case. Notice the detail. And while Matthew 12 mentions the three days and the three nights, and mentions the Ninevites, Luke 11 just focuses. Now, notice this. Luke chapter 11 focuses on the Ninevites. 
as if the business about the ship and the great fish from the deep, as if it was not a matter to take account of. Now, the thought is this. In regard to the gospel history, you'll agree, nothing is more important than the resurrection of Christ. Our Saviour rising from the dead. And to endorse that before the time comes, our Saviour says the sign is in the book of Jonah, three days and three nights. So the Son of Man will be committed to the earth for three days and three nights, after which he'll rise again. That's his resurrection. The resurrection of Christ hangs. Our Saviour hangs the teaching of the resurrection of Christ, that fundamental part of the gospel. He hangs the truth of the resurrection upon the history of Jonah. And not only so, but in Luke chapter 11, our Saviour hangs another great theme upon the story of Jonah. For its truthfulness. And that is the last great day. The judgment day. Now these are two important lines of teaching in the Bible. The resurrection of Christ. The great judgment day. One is past. That's the resurrection of Christ. And the other is still future. The day when the trumpet sounds. And God calls the nations of men to gather before him. And he hangs the truth of the coming judgment day upon the story of Jonah. Do you see how the most important elements in the teaching of Christ are hung by our Saviour knowingly? They're hung by our Saviour on the historicity of the book of Jonah. That all these things depend on Jonah being true. Because if Jonah isn't true, and for the Saviour to teach that his resurrection, in regard to the line of proof there in the Gospel, hangs on the story of Jonah, if Jonah is just a lot of nonsense, then the resurrection of Christ has the flimbiest, flimsiest foundation imaginable. And if the story of Jonah is nonsense, then all fear about the judgment day when the books are opened and every one of us shall give account of himself unto God. You may as well just scrap that old thought in the rubbish bin. Do you see how these two great truths come out? And as I say, I'm only skating over the surface here because... There's something even more important still to show you about these references. And I'll touch on that when I come to chapter 3 of the book of John. Don't miss tonight if you can. If you can possibly help it, try to come. Bring your Bible. I've gone to different parts of the country and some of the Lord's people have said to me, you know, we don't spend enough time in the Bible and if we only had an opportunity to get around God's word, that would be so beneficial to us. Well, I think we can say in a series like this, that's really what we want to do. Not just to have meetings, 
But with the help of God, get down to real studious and prayerful searching of Scripture. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Has the word of the Lord come to you today? Let's bow in prayer.